Well, as you find your seats, I would invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. It'll be in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 this morning. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 1002. 1002 in the Pew Bible. Now, before we read our text for this morning, I think it's important for us to have an understanding of this word rest and the way that the author uses this word rest throughout this passage. Throughout chapters 3 and 4, we see this term used multiple times, and it's rooted in the quote from Psalm 95 back in chapter 3. So you can look there at chapter 3, verse 11, where the author quotes Psalm 95, says, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now it's clear from this verse that when the term rest is used, it's referring to the land of Canaan, the promised land, the area, the geographic area that we now call Israel. The Lord had delivered the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, have brought them to the very edge of the promised land, but they refused to enter in. They refused to receive it. And therefore, reflected in Psalm 95, we see the Lord saying that they will not enter His rest. They will not enter Canaan. Now, why was this land called God's rest? Well, first, it is God's rest because it is the rest that God provides for Israel. Second, it is called rest because it is a place of peace and abundance. It's the land that is flowing with milk and honey. Rest is the environment in which God's people experience the fullness of God's blessing. And Canaan was this promised rest. It is the land where God's people were to live under the blessing of God's just law and enjoy the fruitfulness of the land that He had given them. However, this rest in Canaan was merely provisional in nature. It is a shadow of something greater to come. As we will read in Hebrews 4.8, even when Joshua led the second generation of Israelites into Canaan, they still did not receive the fullness of God's rest. In verse 8, we, are, we will read, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. This rest of Canaan was provisional in nature. The original rest was the Garden of Eden. For six days, the Lord worked to bring order out of chaos and to provide an environment where man might flourish. And then he entered his rest on the seventh day. Verses 3 through 4 of our text will read it says, Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken somewhere of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all His works. You see, man's original created state was this place of rest, this ordered environment where he experienced peace. 
However, by our sin, we were expelled from that rest to toil under futility and death. And that is where we find ourselves even to this day. Expelled from the rest that we were created to enjoy. Separated from God's life in abundance. As Augustine said some 1,600 years ago, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O God. And here is the good news of the gospel. The Lord is moving to deliver His people out of sin and misery and to bring them into a place of rest. The Lord is not content to allow His people to dwell away from His blessing and therefore there remains a rest to be received. A rest that has been won for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9 we read, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What is this remaining rest? Well, it's a new creation won by the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the heavenly Canaan land. It is the renewed creation ushered in by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and waiting to be fully established when Christ returns. For at His return, He will make all things new and He will invite His resurrected, renewed people to enter into this eternal rest. To come at last to the land where we will be free to fully enjoy God for all eternity. As the hem on Jordan's stormy bank so poetically describes, no chilling winds or poisonous breath can reach that healthful shore. Sickness and sorrow, death and pain are felt and feared no more. When shall I reach that happy place? I'll be forever blessed, for I shall see my Father's face and in His bosom rest. You see, as we come to Hebrews 4, we see that the author is using rest in this sense. He's speaking of an environment, a land, free from the effects of sin and full of the blessing of God's presence. Originally, this rest was Eden. Provisionally, this rest was Canaan. And fully and finally, this rest is the new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what the author is saying in our passage about this rest is, don't fail to enter it. Don't be like the Israelites who failed to enter the rest of Canaan, but rather with a proper fear of God, with an active faith in Christ, and with a tenacious fight in the Spirit, enter the eternal rest of God. So hear now the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. 
For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you on this day. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us a taste of that rest that is to come. As we hear your word, as we gather together in faith, O Lord, would you give to us your spirit that we might as from afar see that heavenly land that is to come. And by faith, taste and see the goodness of what you have won for us in Christ. It's in his holy name that we do pray. Amen. I'm not exactly sure how it is that Christians have come to a place where we seem to be so adverse to the idea of fearing God. Maybe it's that some have overdone the fear of God angle in their preaching and their teaching, what we call the hellfire and brimstone preaching. They may have been so narrowly focused on fearing God that they missed the love of God, but what I call the Pollyanna glad God approach has gone a little bit too far. For while we were not meant to have a fear of God that makes us flee from His presence or to be anxious as though he were an impetuous deity just ready to squash us as bugs, we are meant to have a proper respect for his sovereignty and power and fear of his just judgments. We read throughout scripture verses like Psalm 19, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 19, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Isaiah 33, the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And in Acts 9.31, describing a healthy, growing church and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. And what we see in our text is that every Christian must have a proper fear of God if we are to enter into his rest. Look at verse 1 of our text. There we read these words, therefore, 
while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. While Israel failed to reach the rest of Canaan, there remains for us the true and eternal rest of the new creation. However, the author warns us that we must fear God lest we should fail to reach that rest. This makes sense, does it not? If the fear of the Lord leads to life, then those who do not fear the Lord will fail to receive life. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, and in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, then those who do not begin with a proper fear of the Lord will not come to receive the treasure of Zion. They will not enter Canaan. They will not cross the shores of Jordan's stormy banks to enter into the rest of Canaan land. You see, Israel feared the inhabitants of Canaan and not the Lord. So what happened? Well, they didn't enter the land. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that unbelieving generation died and a new generation arose. How do we enter the rest of the Lord? How do we receive life? We must fear God. We must take the warning of His words seriously. We read in Revelation 21 of that new creation rest. And there is a great encouragement in this passage, but there is also great warning. For we read, And He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. There is rest. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We must take the warnings of Scripture seriously because the wages of sin is death and not just physical death, but what this passage says, the second death, the eternal death, the eternal lake of fire away from the presence of the Lord's blessing of life. And therefore, we must repent. We must turn from our sin. We must repudiate all that is displeasing to the Lord. This is how we enter into the Lord's rest. Through repentance. This is why David wrote in Psalm 7, If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. This is why John the Baptist Preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is why Jesus' preaching ministry is summarized in these words. For for that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is why 
On the day of Pentecost that we remember even this Sunday, Peter responded to the people when they cried out to him and they said, what should we do to be saved? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This is why Paul, when he was preaching in Athens to the Greeks, said, God commands all people everywhere to repent. In an attempt not to offend our modern sensibilities, we have left out the foundational reality that because of man's sin apart from Christ, we live under the righteous wrath of God. And His judgment is real. And the consequences are eternal. The fear of the Lord is not something that we should avoid as Christians. Because the fear of the Lord leads to life. And therefore, not fearing the Lord leads to death. How will we enter His rest? We must have a proper fear of the Lord and repent. We must stop fearing the world and its opinions and following its ways and begin to fear God and obey His commands. As Moses addressed the second generation of Israelites, as they were about to enter the promised land that their, that their parents rejected, he said to them, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. How do we enter the rest of God? First, we must fear the Lord and repent of our sin. Now, repentance means turning. And when you turn, you turn from something to something else. And true biblical repentance given by the Spirit of God is repentance from love of self and sin to love of God and holiness. This turning is from trusting in creation to give you rest to trusting in God to give you rest. That is, if we would enter God's promised rest, we must have faith to trust the work of Christ. Our passage goes on in verse 2. If you look down there, it says, For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. You see, if we would enter the rest of God, we must repent and we must believe. The Israelites were not able to enter the provisional rest of Canaan because the message they heard was not united with faith. They heard the good news that the Lord had won for them salvation, but they didn't actually believe it. They didn't trust it. So when it was offered to them, they rejected it. Now, we have been offered the true and eternal rest of the new creation in Christ. And yet to enter it, to receive it, we must believe the message of the gospel. 
The gospel message is a declaration that announces who Jesus Christ is and what He has done. So who is Jesus Christ? Well, as we have already seen in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the eternal Son of God who took on flesh. He is fully God and fully man, the mediator between God and man. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king. And what has He done? Well, He has lived a life of perfect obedience. He freely offered His life on the cross as a sacrifice to satisfy God's divine wrath and judgment against our sin. Dying on the behalf of His people that we might no longer be under the wrath of God. And He rose from the dead to open the way to life everlasting. And currently He is reigning from heaven until all His enemies are submitted under His feet. And one day He will return to renew all of creation, raising the dead from their graves, banishing sin, sickness, and death forever from this land, and judging all unrighteousness, and making His people fully and eternally blessed by His presence. Why is this good news? Because it means that Jesus has won the rest for us. He has earned it by His perfect life. He has secured it by His sacrificial death. He has opened up the way through His resurrection life. And we do nothing to earn that rest. We do nothing to add to the rest. All we are called to do is to believe the good news in faith. To hear the gospel message and by God's grace believe that it is true. Why didn't the message benefit the people of Israel? Because they didn't believe that the Lord had truly won Canaan for them. They looked at all the people of the land and all of their strength and all of their armies and chariots and walls and they thought to themselves, there ain't no way that's going to happen. And so they didn't enter it. As verse 3 says, For we who have believed entered that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They did not enter because they didn't believe. But there is a greater rest than Canaan. There is a better rest than the rest that this world provides and is the rest of the new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to enter it, you must believe that Christ has earned it for you. You must turn from your own vain attempts to create rest and trust in Christ. This is what the author means when he says in verses 8 through 10, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You see, to trust in God To believe the gospel is to rest from your works of trying to create a rest for yourselves. 
to enter the rest of God, you must stop trusting in yourself. You must stop believing that you have the power to give yourself life. Rather, you must repent of your own disobedience and you must believe in the gospel that Christ will change your heart to believe and to obey. You see, we must have a proper fear and repent. We must have an active faith and believe. And the final thing that we see is that we must have a tenacious fight to enter God's rest. Look at verse 11 of our text. There we read, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, it's difficult for us to understand this relationship between faith and fight sometimes, right? We want everything to fit into neat categories, but to enter the rest of God, we must have both a faith in what God has done and a fight to take hold of what God has done. We must trust in God to win the battle, but we must also fight the battle to enter the rest. When the second generation of Israelites did enter the promised land of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua, their first battle was the battle of Jericho. And as we all know, because of the song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and there we go. We got it. And there is your answer to your theological dilemma. Joshua and all of Israel had to fight the battle of Jericho. But it was the Lord who gave them the victory. This ragtag group of desert wanderers couldn't take down the walled city of Jericho on their own. It would be impossible. It would take a well-trained and equipped, technologically advanced force to do such a thing. It was not even a remote possibility that they could take down the walls of Jericho. And so they had to believe that God would fight the battle on their behalf. They had to believe that God would win the battle for them. But here is the key. The proof of their believing was their willingness to fight. The proof of your believing the gospel is your willingness to fight, to enter into the promised rest of God. When Joseph was told that his betrothed Mary was pregnant with the Messiah by the Holy Spirit, the angel gave him this, these instructions. He said, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is the one who will save his people from their sins. Now, because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in Greek, the connection that is being made is not blatantly apparent to us. 
But the name that this child, the Messiah, was to have is the name Joshua. The name Jesus is merely the Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Joshua. And he was to be given this name because he was to deliver his people. A new Joshua has come. Not to bring the people of Israel into the land of Canaan and to give them provisional rest, but rather to deliver his people from their sin and to bring them into the eternal rest of the new creation. And the question is, do you believe that Jesus is the true Joshua? Do you believe that he has won the battle for us? Do you trust that he will save us from our sins and deliver us from Satan and bring us into the kingdom of heaven? The proof that you believe that he is your true Joshua is that you fight Christian, that you strive to enter into the rest because Christianity is not a spectator sport. And salvation by grace alone through faith alone never meant, therefore, just leave everything alone. Why do you think that the Scriptures so often call us to an act of faith? Why does James say faith without works is dead? Paul says one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We are in a spiritual battle, not with flesh and blood, not with swords and guns, but we are in a battle for God's Sabbath rest, the kingdom of God, and therefore we must strive, we must Fight to enter it. To be passive in our faith is to have no faith at all. Rather, we must fight against sin by the power of the Spirit. We must strive to walk in obedience. We must stand for truth in a world of lies. We must proclaim the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We must have fear. We must have faith, and we must have fight to take hold of God's rest. It was an evening in August of 2016. My family and I were on vacation out on the west coast, Vancouver Island in British Columbia, Canada. And we had spent the whole day touring the world-famous Bouchard Gardens, for those of you who don't know, the Bouchard Gardens is a 55-acre display garden. It has countless flower beds and topiaries and fountains. There are over 900 varieties of plants, including every type of flower you could think. Tulips and roses and daffodils. We spent the whole day touring the gardens. And as the sun began to set over this garden, a Dixieland jazz band began to play. We found a nice open place on a large manicured lawn to listen. The weather was clear and cool. The air was sweet. And my four children at the time, ages 10 and 8, 6, and 3, were happily dancing to the music as April and I lay down on the grass and watched. I sat there 
and perfect peace and thank God for His grace. And I forced myself to take it all in because I knew that in a few moments that deep sense of rest would be gone. I knew that moment couldn't last forever. And yet I longed that I could take the whole experience in, everything. The cool temperature. That northern summer sunset where the sun just doesn't ever seem to want to go completely below the horizon and the light is diffused so that everything looks beautiful. The floral smells, the jazzy music, the dancing and joyful and laughing children around me, the touch of my wife's hand and the softness of the green grass. I want to live in that moment for eternity. For a brief second, I had an experience of deep and satisfying rest, a God-given glimpse of what life was meant to be in the garden. I wonder, have you ever had a moment like that? Where all the anxieties and the worries and the struggles of this world just passed away for a brief moment. A glimpse of what life was meant to be. What life will be for those who are in Christ. For a day is coming when the promised rest will no longer be a future promise rest or a present provisional rest but a reality that we will enjoy for all eternity the book of revelation tells us of this rest that there will be the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of god and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city On either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. And they will need no lamp For light or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Every glimpse of rest and peace we have is nothing compared to the full glorifying and joying of God to all eternity that is for us. For there will be no more sickness or pain or death or mourning There will be health and there will be abundance and there will be fellowship and joy. There will be worship and there will be acceptance and belonging. And above all else, there will be our God. And we will see Him. We will see the face of Jesus. And finally, at last, in His smiling countenance, we will experience the rest that we were created to enjoy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we pray that you would give to us, even this day, release from our fears and our anxieties that are rooted in seeking rest in this world. Would you teach us, 
Would you unite our hearts to fear your name, to repent, to believe in the gospel, and to strive to enter that rest where you, O oh God, will be our joy and our satisfaction. Even this day as we gather together in your name, Lord Jesus, would you give us a glimpse, a taste of that rest that we might be encouraged, exhorted, spurred on to continue to strive towards the eternal city of God. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.